We're going to go ahead and move forward with the series that we're in. And to get us all on the same page as we go forward with the series, I I want to tell you something that's really kind of important to me. It's a pretty high value in my life, and some of you will identify with this. Being on time is really important to me. Let me just ask anybody else in the room or online, raise your hand if being on time is a big deal to you. Raise your hand. Yeah, I get you guys. I mean, were you taught what I was taught, that if you show up on time, you're actually late? If you want to be on time, you show up 10 minutes early because then you're sure you're where you should be at the right time. Uh, Let's do the other side of this. Anybody in the room or online like, hey, being on time is not such a big deal to me. Um, Or are you married to someone you know it's not such a big deal? Yeah, we all kind of feel that tension. Because I will tell you someone in my life that being on time is not such a big deal to my wonderful wife, Tina. I mean, she does not care so much about being on time. And she's organized and she's got her life together. She's beautiful. She's smart. But on time is relative for her. I'll I'll give you an example. This morning, I got up early. I always get up early on Sunday, kind of get prepared for the morning. And I looked at my watch and I had to be in church in 30 minutes, which means I might be late. I don't like to be late. And so I come rushing through the bedroom to the bathroom in the dark and she's come the other way and I put my shoulder right into her chin and I thought I had knocked her out. Um, so if you see a little bruise, I promise I didn't hit her. I just ran into her by accident. And I thought, oh, there it is. I've got to be on time. And she's like, well, time's relative. And it's really hard for me to understand the on time thing until a friend of mine said this statement that made so much sense. She said, Matt, you just need to know that I'm an optimist when it comes to time. If I have five minutes, it feels like I got 20 minutes. I'm an optimist. There's always going to be a few more moments left because I am an optimist. And, you know, some of us remember being optimists with our time when we were in high school because our parents gave us a curfew. We had to be home in three minutes, which meant I literally turned into speed racer on the way home in the Mach 5 trying to beat my curfew. By the way, parents, Andy says this great piece of advice. If you have teenage kids that you want home at a certain time, don't give them a curfew when to be home. Give them a time to leave where they're at and then track them on their phone. It's much safer. That bit of advice is just free for showing up to Lifehouse today. I thought that was a brilliant move. But, but here's the deal. When it comes to being on time, being an optimist time, all of us, we fall into this idea of the five-minute syndrome. And it's that five-minute syndrome where I'm like, hey, I have time for one more task I have time for one more call. Maybe it's I have time for one more drink. Certainly for me, it's one more cookie. I have time for one more pair of shoes I can buy, one more swipe of the card on Amazon. And the outcome with the whole one more time mentality is always the same when it comes to one more time. That one more time in our lives rarely adds anything. Just one more thing rarely adds anything. In fact, when we fall into the mentality of just a little bit more, a little closer to the edge, we can take value away from our lives. For instance, let's just grab something that we all can identify with, speeding on the highway, right? We love, most of us, and if you don't do this, you're an anomaly, but almost all of us, we love to get six, seven, eight, nine miles over the speed limit where we can get there faster but not get a ticket, right? That's all of our strategy. How fast can I go, but not get in that place where I'm actually gonna get caught breaking the law? In other words, we're gonna live as close to the line as possible, but not be in trouble. And that's kind of the world that we live in and the lives we live. And you may ask the question, well, Matt, what lines do you think we have in our lives? Here's some simple lines that we live real close to, legal versus illegal. I mean, I don't, 
I don't want to do anything illegal, illegal. And I certainly don't want to get caught doing anything illegal. But I don't want to say totally illegal. Where's the fun in that? The line between responsible and irresponsible. I don't want to look like an irresponsible person. But let's just be honest. If I have to be responsible to 100% all the time, it can be a drag on my life. And I don't want to be that responsible. We feel that sometimes. Same with moral and immoral. Well, I don't want to be immoral. Especially if you're a Jesus follower, we don't want to be immoral. And if you're not, you probably still don't, I'm guessing. But if I'm 100% moral about everything, man, that's hard and that's like taxing and it takes a lot of energy. Same with ethical and unethical and all these things. Um, Here's what's so interesting about this. I like to ride these lines where I'm still in control, but I don't need help. I like to get as close to legal as I can, but I don't need anybody to bail me out. But I'm not going to stay totally on the legal side. And by nature, we want to get away with these things without destroying our lives. We want to get close to whatever it is, but we don't want to jack up our lives and undermine our own happiness. We want to get close to the edge of disaster, but don't taste disaster. And this is true with dating if you're single. This is true with spending your money. This is true with flirting with somebody you should not be flirting with and flirting with all those lines in our lives. And there's four assumptions. I just wanted to illustrate how we see this in our lives. And these four assumptions are like this. If it's not wrong, it's all right. Now, we don't say that out loud, but can't we kind of live that way? If it's not wrong, it must be all right. If it's not illegal, it must be permissible. If it's not immoral... It's acceptable. And if it's not over the line, baby, it is fine. You ever ever just think that? In fact, I just want to say that again because it feels good to say. If it's not over the line, baby, it's fine. And see, we don't think about this for ourselves. This is really negative because we don't see this in ourselves. But when you put yourself in the role of a parent and your kids start having this kind of mentality, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just because it's okay doesn't mean it's okay. Just because it's not illegal doesn't mean I want you doing it. It's when you put yourself into a big brother, big sister, looking after your little brother, little sister. These become worrisome because this mentality sets the bar as low as we possibly can set it in our lives to get by. And it causes us to start thinking, how low can we go? How much can I get away with? How much can I skirt disaster but still get to do what I want to do? How how close to sin, if you're a church person, can I get without actually calling it sin-ing? Because where it leads next is this. How far over the line can I go? How, How many steps before it really costs me something? I'm going over the line, but how far before it leads into unethical chaos? How far can I go over the line before I neglect my family where they start to turn on me? I don't want that, but I kind of want to neglect my family for me. We all have that in us. Or my finances affect my health. How far into addictive behavior can I get before I'm an addict? We all have a propensity to go down the slippery, slippery slope. And it begins with a question, I think. And it's, I think it might be the worst question you can ask. And the question is this, is there anything wrong with this? And I've been a pastor for almost 30 years now. I have been asked this question like a thousand times. People present something to me and say, is there anything wrong with this? It's a terrible question because most of the time what we're asking is, can I do this? How much of this can I do? How much can I get away with? 
And when I ask the question, is there anything wrong with this? It often leads to another question later on in my life. And that is how did I get myself into this? Now, I was just trying to figure out how far I could go across the line. And then I woke up one morning and I was in such a mess or such a disaster. I didn't know how I got to where I was. I walked the edge so tightly. I left no margin for error. I was a, a fool. And we've all woken up in that place in our lives. We're like, hey, I was a fool. And it didn't start out with a moral direction or even a wrong direction. But it wasn't the best direction. And when we're willing to be honest with ourselves about these directions ahead of time, boy, we put ourselves in a better place to make better decisions and have fewer regrets, which is the series we're in, if you're new here today. And this whole series about better decisions helps us realize there's a correlation between better decisions and asking really good questions. See, when we look at, ask the right kind of questions, our decision-making gets better and better. And we've been talking about five questions. Anytime you make any kind of decision with substance to it that we should ask in every area of life. Now, I want to say this. I said this in week one or two, that this line of thinking has been a blessing and shaped me as a human being, me as a pastor. It's helped shape me as a husband and it's shaped me and our family with our kids. And I am so grateful for the impact this line of thinking has had on my personal family. And the idea behind it is when we are willing to ask the right questions, we're talking about those questions today. And we're willing to answer honestly, but you got to be honest no matter how hard it is. And then act on these answers. We have the ability to move towards a better life. And this is important. Does not mean an easier life, but a better life. And here's why I think you should do that. You should do that for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should certainly do it for Jesus. You should also do it for the people that depend on you. Because what we said is we are not the only people impacted by our regrets, are we? There's little eyes that look up at us and go, I hope you're getting it right, Dad. I hope you're getting it right, Mom. And so we're walking through these questions. Now, here's just a little piece of information. Um, this week, we're sending out a, a devotional, a five-day devotional for the week that you can just walk through this whole thing. We'd love to do this as a church together. And all you have to do is you got to text CONNECT to 21000, and it'll take you to a view version reading plan. Five days. would love for you to think about this, because you know this. Um, you can hear me talk. You can hear Andy talk, and you shake your head and thumbs up, and that's really good. But if you don't think about it during the week, it's not really doing what it needs to do. And we thought this devotional plan would help all of us think through these things this week. So I'd love for you to get your hands on this. We'll put it out on social through some emails. If you don't get this um, downloaded today, we'd just love for you to process through us. Because we're talking about these five questions that impacts everyone in our lives. Um, in week one, we, we talked about the first question, and it's the integrity question. And the integrity question is, am I being honest with myself? And that's not the completion of the question because sometimes we're not totally honest with ourselves. So the question is, am I being honest with myself really? Am I looking in the mirror and going, hey, this is really where I'm at. This is really what I'm doing because I can't get anywhere unless I'm willing to be honest because I can deceive myself and you can deceive yourself pretty early. The, the second question was the legacy question and it's what story do I want to tell? The idea is whatever you're doing right now are current events, but someday it'll be the story of your life. And in the story of your life that you're going to tell in this moment, do you want to be the hero or the victim? 
Do you want to be the good example or the bad example? And again, there's people that are counting on us telling a good story in our life. And the question number three was the conscience question. Andy did such a good job with this last week. If you missed it, you should go back and watch it. He said, is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there a tension that I'm feeling over my actions, behaviors, decisions that I just know is not right, but I'm ignoring it? You should go and you should pay attention to that. And today it brings us to the fourth question. And today we're going to talk about the maturity question. And here's the deal with the maturity question. It brings us to a personal challenge of, am I a mature person? And there's actually proof of this. Now I want to go back to this passage that we started this series with from Proverbs 27, 12. Solomon says the prudent, and if you don't know what that word means, it's the wise, the crafty, the smart. They see danger and they take refuge. I see something dangerous coming. I'm going to hide. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to do something smart. And then he goes on, but the simple, and simple just simply means I don't realize that what I do today is connected to what happens tomorrow in my life. There's a cause and effect. The simple keep going and they pay the penalty. I just walk towards it and eventually whatever is dangerous bites me. It hurts me. It hurts the people I love. And so the maturity question coming out of this is what is the wise thing to do? My friends, any decision you make in your life, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, whether you're, you believe in anything about God or you're totally sold out for God, you should ask this question before you make any decision. What's a wise thing to do? Not is it legal, not is it acceptable, not is it moral or immoral, it's what's the wise thing to do? Because mature people, and that's what we want to be, right? Mature people. They understand a decision can be not wrong and unwise at the same time. And I want to read that again. This is so important. Mature people realize the decision can be not wrong and unwise at the very same time. And this is where we can lead to some of our greatest regrets. This is where we have to stop and we have to think, listen, am I being wise in this moment? Because you know this, that your greatest regrets, and we got some, don't we? And my greatest regrets were preceded by a series of unwise decisions. And they probably didn't start out as wrong or illegal or immoral or just stupid. They just were a little unwise. But it paved the way. It was an entry point to regret that we want to avoid. And I'm at a stage in my life, like I'm sure many of you are, I just want less regrets. And regrets, you know, steals your soul a little bit. So the question we're going to continue to ask today is, what is the wise thing for me to do? What's the wise thing for you to do? In every situation, what's the wise thing for me to do? Now, luckily for us, in a brilliant man who loved Jesus, his name was the Apostle Paul, he writes about this to a little church in Ephesus, some Christians in Ephesus, trying to help them understand about wisdom and living carefully in their life. In fact, he says this in Ephesians chapter five. Paul says, be very careful. I mean, it's like strong. Be really careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now, here's what I love about this. You know, we can sometimes talk about the good old days and how it's so bad now and was so bad then. And you get the sense when you read the scriptures that, man, it was a mess 2,000 years ago and it's a mess today. And human nature is not to be wise. Human nature, your nature, my nature, we're all in this together, is to be unwise people, to get to the edge of disaster. Put our nose over, peek over, see how close we can get. 
and hope we can stop there. And Paul says, no, that's a bad lens to use. That's where your decisions can undermine your happiness. So what's the wise thing to do? Don't be unwise. Making the most of every opportunity. And it's pretty cool. This word opportunity literally means to redeem the time in your life. And you just need to know if you're really young, you're sitting with some older people like me that were like, oh, I'd give anything to go back and redeem some time that I wasted, that I regret now. I would redeem, I mean, my life would be so much different. Here's the cool thing about this. We can redeem our time that we're living in right now as opposed to waste it, but that we have to be wise in it. And imagine how life would be for you if you decided just right now, I'm gonna redeem the time I'm in in this moment. That when I look back, it won't be perfect and I'll have made mistakes, sure you will. But I will not have made the mistakes that I regret, like my biggest regrets in my life. And it's painful and it's hard and it's sacrificial. But Paul is inviting us to a life that's better. To wrap this up, he says, be very careful in how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I think this is really important. He knows what you know, that we live in a world that's not neutral. It's not like, hey, if you just don't do anything, you'll end up in a good place. If you just don't do anything, our culture, and we're not against culture, I say this all the time, but our culture will lead us in a direction that we'll regret someday, that we'll wish we hadn't done that. And he would say, be wise, have a plan for your life. Be careful of the salespeople, because you know what a salesperson will do? A good salesperson, I love salespeople. They'll keep on you until you say yes. That's the nature of culture. Buy, get, serve, take, you know, please yourself until you regret. Be very careful when you run into those kind of situations, because our culture will pull you in a direction that you will regret, and it's all about now. Get what you can now. Chase after her now. Buy that now. Maturity says Wisdom says, later is always greater. And as we talk about this today, I want to talk about it from three perspectives. The past, the present, and the future in our lives. So we're going to say it this way. That in light of my past experience, because we all have past experiences, and my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? So let's just start for the first part of this. Um, as we think through this, it's in light of my past experiences, what are the, what's the wise thing for me to do? Now you may not have thought of this before, but your past experiences can inform your future. When you look back at your past or the family that you came from or the culture that you came from, you can see what tempts you, can't you? What tempted me when I was 15 may still tempt me at 30. What tempted me at 25 certainly may chase me into my 50s. What would I become addicted to at one stage of life? I got to make sure I'm watching for the rest of my life. My blind spots, the things that I will fall or trip into. I can see it in my past and I can make my future better because of it. So I've got to pay attention in light of my past experiences. What's the wise thing for me to do? And at every opportunity, this is the question to ask. I'll tell you who was a great example of this for me was, was my own father. My dad grew up in a household that was super dysfunctional. His dad, maybe his mom was an alcoholic. He loved to gamble. He lost multiple really successful businesses because of his habits. And my dad grew up in that. And he saw all kinds of vile behavior. And maybe you would say, oh man, I can identify. My dad saw some crazy stuff. I'll tell you the stories about it sometime. 
When my dad was 19 years old with no help from his own parents, he became a follower of Jesus and it changed his life, but it didn't make him wise instantly. But following Jesus, he made some decisions along the way. And he just decided, I'm not going to be a person that drinks. I think I saw my dad drink alcohol three times my entire life. I'm never going to gamble. I remember my dad telling me that. I'm never going to gamble. Why? Because I saw my dad gamble his future away and our future away. They had to leave their very, very nice house in a very nice place and go live in an apartment because they lost everything. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to hang out. In fact, my dad, and this is really interesting, my dad decided to become kind of a boring person compared to his family. And he would tell you that. And if you ask him why, he'd first say, well, listen, it's not because I think necessarily having a beer is wrong. Even smoking cigarettes is wrong. Gambling in itself is not necessarily wrong. But for me, in light of my past experiences and who my parents were, it was not the wise thing for me to do. (laughs) My dad had a great family. And he raised a great son. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just... (laughs) That's a joke. But I had a great childhood. And my sister and I, we were loved by my dad. And my kids were loved by their grandfather. And he was a man of integrity. And he's a man you could trust. And he lived a different life than his own father. Partly because he decided, in light of my past experiences, what's the wise way for me to live? It's not illegal. It's not necessarily wrong or moral, all those things. But it's not wise. So can I ask you a question? In light of your past experiences, your family, or your behavior, or things you've gotten yourself into in the past, what's the wise thing for you to do today? And then we go on to the next part of this this, um, thought process, and it's in light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing for me to do? Because you know this, life is seasonal, it comes and it goes, and things pop up and they quiet down. So in light of your current season, and the emotion that you have and the mindset that you're in, whatever it is, and maybe you're in a great place, but maybe you're not. Maybe you're upside down and you're thinking, what's the wise thing for you to do? And again, for me, this is where I'm at a stage in my life. Um, I want to make less apologies in my life. I, I want to apologize when I need to, but I want to make less apologies because I've messed things up. And here's where I've had to make the most apologies in my life. When I'm angry, when I'm fearful, when I'm super emotional, when my flesh is attracted to something. And in those moments, I'm trying to ask this question, in light of my current circumstances, wait, Matt, don't do anything until you calm down, think it through, ask some advice. What's the wise thing to do? For some of you, your current circumstances, you just came out of a really hard dating relationship. And maybe you would say, listen, I got way too involved way too soon with somebody that was not who I wanted in my life. And I just, I just went full send and did it. And now my heart's broken. I gave a year or two or five years and now my heart's broken. I'm all upside down and I'm lonely and I'm emotional. And I am so tempted to jump right back into dating again. What's the wise thing for you to do right now? Could it possibly be that you should step way back from dating at all for a while until you can get your mind and your heart cleared and make sure you want or you can see what you want or what God wants for you? Is that possible? Is that the wise thing to do in light of your current circumstances? For you, maybe it's you just came out of a really hard divorce and now you're lonely and you're mad and you're bitter and you want to get back and now he or she's with somebody else and you know it's just miserable and you want to you know levy up a little bit 
And you know this, you, you could be tempted to step right back into another relationship that's not healthy for you. As opposed to some people, in our, like some people in our church that just decide, I'm going to step way, way back. And I'm going to reconfigure my life. And I'm going to set some standards for me and then for the person I give my life to. And I'm not going to step in any direction for a long time. Because you know, this divorce is hard and it's heartbreaking. In fact, you know, people will tell me sometimes from our church that are divorced, Matt, you need to talk more about divorce, just how hard and painful it is on the other side. And what would it look like to, in the moment of these circumstances to step back and make a wise decision? So when people come to me and they want to get remarried after they've been divorced, I mean, for me, this a bottom line rule is, okay, we'll have that conversation, but not until you're at least divorced for two years. Because you need at least two years to kind of straighten your mind and heart out. And you know, people will ask me, well, why two years? And I will tell them because I don't feel right about asking for 10 years. That's how hard it is sometimes. Yeah, you get it over there. I hear you. And I don't want any more regret for you. I don't want any more regret for me or for us. How about this? In light of my future, and I love this so much, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? I mean, for me, this is so defining. It's so clarifying. And it's clarifying for me as a pastor, maybe especially, because it it just damages my soul. And it breaks my heart when I see people that I love, they're part of our church, that undermine their own future by their decisions they're making today. It's, it's the relationships I see some of our teenagers decide, I'm going to jump into this, I'm just going to follow what culture says and what TV says and social media says. And then somewhere down the line, whether it's six months or a year or five years, I mean, they're just heartbroken. And they feel so guilty. And they shouldn't be shamed because shame is about who you are. And we are children of God, but they still feel shame. And I don't want young people to feel shame. And it breaks my heart because young people didn't think about their future hopes and dreams. It breaks my heart when parents don't think about the future hopes and dreams for their children. And they just let their children go down the path that culture provides. And then one day they're distant from their kids. Or one day their kids are unmanageable. Or one day their kids don't want to spend time with them. In light of your family and your kids, what's your future hopes and dreams for them? What are you going to do that could undermine that, that would make your sons and your daughters never respect you again? It's so weird because married people won't think about their future hopes and dreams. What I'm doing today in my marriage will have a huge effect in my marriage five years from now. And we don't see it. But you see it in other people, don't you? What would it look like for us to say, in light of my future hopes and dreams for this woman that you know, I pledge my life to, what do I want? What am I willing to do today to protect those? And it's crazy because we have the propensity to come up with a strategy to undermine our own happiness. And it breaks my heart when I see us doing that. So we step back. What would this look like in the future? And where am I going to end up? And for most of us, this is just for most of us, in our future, we don't want to end up alone. And it doesn't mean you're necessarily married, but you don't want to end up alone. That's like the, the worst thing that could happen to us. My kids don't want to be around me. My family doesn't want to be around me. My spouse doesn't want to be around me. But we don't think about that in the moment when we're doing something that can undermine everything we care about in our lives. So what does it look like for you? And anytime you make a decision... Any relationship, any money spending, any time you connect with somebody that you should not be connecting with. In light of my future hopes and dreams, 
What's the wise thing for me to do? Now I wanna talk about something to you that I've lived by that's a little bit controversial in our day and age. And so before you text me or send me an email or tweet something bad about me, um, let me finish all I'm gonna say and then you can just have at it. Is that fair? Is that, that's the ground rules? Um, since I got into ministry, I, I've decided to live, because I was taught this, um, to live by what's known as the Billy Graham rule. And the Billy Graham rule is simply this, that I would not be alone with another woman that's not my wife under any circumstances. Now, just to be fair, that does not mean I won't have coffee with a woman in a restaurant because we're not alone. I've been asked that question before. Um, I, I will have a meeting in our office space with a window, with a, a door with a window and someone right outside because there's you know accountability in that. But for me, I've just decided I'm not gonna be alone with a female. Here's why. For me, I know me. And I know the temptation, how easy I can slip up and mess up and do something really stupid and undermine my future hopes and dreams with my family, my kids, my ministry, my job. And I just decided I don't want to do that. And I don't trust me. When people ask me, well, Matt, you don't trust yourself? No, I don't trust myself. And I don't trust any of the other men in this place either, just so you know. Now, here's where this rule has been a problem, and I agree with this. It has the propensity to leave women out of important circles of leadership and influence and create more of a guy's club. In fact, um, I was just thinking about this last night. I was sitting at the table with my daughter and she was just asking me leadership questions. And we talked for a long time just about leadership. And I thought, listen, I want her to be influenced by good leaders, men and women. I don't want her to be excluded. So men, if you decide to implement this rule in your life, don't leave women out of important environments and conversations. Can I say that to you? It's really important. But where I think the Billy Graham rule needs to be changed is we have focused it towards men. And I think we ought to change it this morning. I would encourage you that whatever person you're attracted to, whether you're straight, whether you're gay, whether you're married, whether you're single, if you don't want to go down a road with whatever kind of person that is, you should not be alone with them because it's really hard to have a physical affair with someone you're never alone with. Does that make sense? It's pretty good advice, isn't it? So I would just encourage you that because we all, we all have the ability to walk down paths, especially me, that end us up destroying our families and our marriages. And it's not just men. It's women and men and everybody else. And I, I don't want that for you. And that has served me so well. And I am convinced the guy that probably would make that mistake first in this room or online is the guy on stage. Now, if after hearing all that, you want to send me an email or a text or tweet about me because you're angry, go ahead. I can take it. I do not mind you being wrong about this. All right, all these things, all these things, all these things bring clarity to our world so we see clearly, so we don't rob our future. Because remember, Paul said the days are evil. 
You don't even realize it, but they're robbing from you. And when, here's a weird thing. When we step over that line, we get so close, we step over that line that our culture invites us to, social media invites us to, TV shows invites us to, your friends invite you to. When you step over that line, what does culture do to you? They crucify you, don't they? I mean, they put a brand on you and it just happens over and over again. So the question is, what's a wise thing to do? And when we start thinking what's a wise thing to do, be careful because then we start dismissing the wise things with these, this kind of thinking and this kind of thinking gets you in trouble. Hey, but I'm not hurting anybody. Well, not at the beginning, but have we all seen enough hurt in people's lives from our actions or other actions? I can handle it. Well, yeah, you can handle it in the beginning until it draws you in so deep. You can't handle it anymore. Now we're in therapy, we're in rehab, you know, we're going to the divorce court, whatever it is. I can handle it until I can't. And there's no law against it. That's not a great way to live. And here's an interesting one. God will forgive me. I, I mean, it's an important place to time out. He will forgive you. Every time he will forgive you. It is why his son died on a cross for you. But the same God that loved you so much to give his son for you, loves you so much he does not want you to undermine your future hopes and dreams and what he has for you to do in his kingdom. And these excuses get us in so much trouble. It's not what's legal, it's what's wise. And what's you know, just legal or permissible, it's a gateway into behavior that we regret along the way. So could we just get rid of the excuses? Because our excuses, they escort us to the threshold of regret where there's so little margin that if we just mess up a little bit, we're in the full-on danger zone. And I just want you all to decide no more riding the line, no more getting close to treacherous places, to have a plan to implement you know, your future hopes and dreams and decide in light, of, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do in my finances, in my life, in my relationships, in my profession, if you're single, if you're married. Oh, and, and if you're single and you're, you're like thinking about being romantically engaged. I would just tell you this, and this is why it's so important. I think I already said this this morning, but you're sitting around people that would love to go back and be young and single again and tell themselves what I'm telling you now. Hey, you have a chance to avoid your biggest regrets. But if you're single and you're thinking about moving in a romantic you know, direction, good for you, but be so careful because you can go down a path that you regret. And maybe if you're single and you're thinking about this, you gotta ask the question we asked in week one, am I being honest with myself really? I mean, I know he's cute and I know she smells good, but your mama told you and your grandpa told you and your pastor told you and your best friends told you he's not good for you. He doesn't love you the way you deserve to be loved. But you're not being honest with yourself. Now you're moving in. Now you're in a relationship you swore you'd never be in. Maybe if you're married, you found yourself in distance from your spouse in a way that if you just could go back and undo this, you wouldn't be so distant. That's why you gotta ask this question. What's the wise thing for me to do? Now, just to give you a cheeky little saying that I hope will help you remember this along the way, I thought I'd read this to you. There's good and there's bad, but that's not my cue. But rather, what is the wise thing for me to do. It's a pretty great saying, isn't it? Good and bad is not the filter. It's what is wise. I'm not settling for good and bad anymore. I'm not settling for is it right or is it wrong. I'm going with full on is this wise in my past, in my present, and in my future. 
Is it wise? It's why we owe it to ourselves to ask this one more time. In light of my past experience, in light of my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing in my relationships, with my spending, with my job, with who I'm spending time with? What's the wise thing for me to do? Now, as we wrap this up today, I I would say this. If you're here and you don't believe anything about God, you should do this. This just makes sense in a great way to live. But for those of us that follow Jesus, here's the invitation. We have been loved by him so much that we can trust this is the wise thing to do. That if he's willing to give his life for us, that we would say, all right, Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you and I'm going to build my life upon you because it's the best foundation that I could ever have. I'm trusting you. And that's the invitation. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, here's the invitation. Come into a relationship to build your life on. And we're going to sing this song that talks about that very thing. I'm going to build my life upon your love. For me, for you, Jesus, and for the people around me. And it's not just about having a better life. It's about following our Savior in his footsteps. And having less regrets. And causing less pain and loving people the very best that we can. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and I hope this just settles down into our soul and takes hold of us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it is so easy for me to talk about this up here. It is so much more challenging for me to do it and live it out. But I am grateful that this line of thinking has served me and my family so well. I pray that you'd give us the courage and the strength to act on this. That we would ask in every situation, what's the wise thing for me? I'm thinking about my kids, my future family. In light of my past, in light around who sits around the table with me, what's the wise thing for me to do with my life? If there's anything that is not wise, I pray we'd see it clearly and avoid it. And Lord, thank you for your forgiveness when we haven't done this. And thank you for your love that calls us to a better life. It's in Jesus' name I pray.